And folks, some of you think that what God allows in your life is evil and not good. So you get angry. And at the core of anger is an idolatrous heart that believes that we know better than God. You believe what's happening to you is bad rather than good. Welcome to this midweek edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, your message today focuses on God's goodness and mercy against the burning anger of Jonah. Indeed it does, Dave, and we're going to learn an important lesson about why we get angry and what we should do if we are tempted. So with this in mind, we continue our detour from the book of Colossians to look at anger from the book of Jonah. Let's turn to Jonah chapter 4. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archived broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. If you want Satan, the enemy of your soul, the enemy of God, one who is a murderer and a liar at heart, to have a place, then stay angry and stay irritated. And what kind of place does Satan get in an angry person? The kind of place that we see all the time, where thinking is just not right, where it's not biblical, it's satanic. It's worldly, it's earthly, natural, and as James would say, demonic. It may be as simple as evaluating things within your own wisdom. That's satanic. Rather than what God says. But whatever it is, you give Satan a place. If you are even irritated by the time you go to bed concerning possibly this righteous anger. He's not validating unrighteous anger here at all. Now, so many believers are in disobedience to this command and gives our arch enemy a place by simply being angry or irritated. You've been bought with a great price. You have no right to stay angry. You can't handle it. Whatever the situation, you need to forgive. And folks, if you want to validate your anger in verse 26, I find that often someone who'd say, well, here's why I can be angry, verse 26. They don't read down to verse 31. Let's go down to verse 31 in Ephesians 4. Let all, all, that's all, bitterness and wrath, thumos and anger, orge and clamor and slander be put away from you. Every bit, put it away. Take it off like a dirty rag as we would see in Scripture. Set it aside. Say no to it. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Renew your mind in Christ. You didn't learn Christ in this way. That's not the way you are. Let it be put away. So Scripture is also clear that in James, as we see, that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Your anger is not going to accomplish anything concerning God's righteousness. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on it. Why? You give Satan a place. You give Satan, the devil, an opportunity in your life. You will be a manifestation of his will in your life and others. If you do this, it's really, really dangerous. Don't do it. So back to our passage, Jonah chapter 4, 
But it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and he burned towards it. Jonah's a messed up prophet at this point. We saw earlier he was the world's worst missionary where he went the wrong way. And now we see he was given an opportunity to preach the truth concerning the Lord. And ultimately they repent the greatest revival ever. And to Jonah, he's angry. This is the external trigger point that gets Jonah hot. And Jonah gets hot with these things on the outside. Later on, he's going to get hot and angry because God lets that plant die. And something outside of Jonah gets him hot on the inside. Ninevites get saved, he's hot. Plant dies, he's hot. Is this not the case for all of us? It's something outside of us that triggers an internal response, some type of circumstance or situation or person or whatever it is. Things don't work out the way we want, we get angry. Someone says something we don't like, we get angry. I was treated bad in my childhood, we get angry. Finances, family, health, whatever it is, I'm angry. All these things may be true. But the question is, are they evil in the life of the believer? Jonah saw it as evil and not good. And that's the core, as we'll see, of why we get angry. Concerning the Ninevite salvation, why would Jonah be so angry? Why would this guy be so mad at such a good thing? Salvation. Why would we be so mad as we will see at such a good thing? Sanctification. As God uses evil and allows it to bring about good. Why is Jonah so mad? We can get into all the sub-issues and commentators go for volumes on all the issues that might have caused Jonah to be angry. Maybe it was his hatred of the Ninevites and their wickedness, which is true. Maybe he hated them because they were poised to invade Israel the way they were expanding. Maybe he hated them, as some commentators would say, because as he would go back to Israel, he might be considered a false prophet because he declared judgment and it didn't happen. Maybe there's all sorts of reasons why Jonah might have been angry, but the bottom line is every single one of those sidetracks us from what God wants us to learn in this passage, which I believe is what the heart of anger is and the core of anger. Jonah has an outward issue that he's angered by, and it's the salvation of the Ninevites. It is an extreme example for us, right? And he's angry. But behind this, there is an inward problem. I believe we'll see the heart of that problem as we look at his prayer. First one again, but it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry. It was evil to him, a great evil. He became hot. I believe that's the best translation. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. I think the first thing we're going to see is Jonah's got a warped view of God. He's got a warped view of God, and he's actually in this statement going to justify his previous sin, which he was disciplined almost to death for. And he prayed to the Lord, the I am Yahweh, the great I am, and said, Please, Lord, wasn't this what I said? Didn't I tell you so, Lord? When I prayed back there, when I was wanting to flee, I knew you would go save them. Didn't I tell you this? And you did it. This is why I fled. 
And so we have some serious problems here at the core of Jonah's anger. First of all, he's backtracking and justifying his previous sin. We do that, don't we? We confess our sin, we get convicted over it, God's discipline is heavy on us, and then things change, and we get a burr in our saddle, and we start to justify that same sin. Jonah's doing it. He's justifying it. And here we're going to see the core of anger, the heart of anger. Jonah's saying, basically, I told you so, God. I told you so. I'm right, and you are wrong, God. And this is the core of anger. An idolatrous, selfish view that our understanding is better than God's. That we believe our perception and understanding of circumstances and issues is better than God's. It's almost unbelievable to think that after what Jonah has gone through, almost dying, being in this slimy whale, really kind of repenting there, it seems like he wants to do what God wants him to do, God stops the discipline, and at this point, he would say this and pray this. In your own time, note the difference between the prayers in chapter 2 and the prayer here. They're totally different. Jonah, in effect, is saying, I told you so. Oh, but... Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? This is dangerous ground to be standing on. Remember that God brought Jonah to within an inch of his life before, right? Isaiah 45, verse 9. Woe to the one who quarrels with his Maker. An earthenware vessel among vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. In the core of Jonah's anger, we see a justification of his sinful actions in the past. He says, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my country? Therefore, in order to sauce, I fled, I, my, I, I, my, my, Lord. Jonah's exhibiting a warped view of God. He believes what God has done in saving the Ninevites is a evil thing. It was evil to Jonah. It was evil. It was not good. And folks, some of you think that what God allows in your life is evil and not good. So you get angry. And at the core of anger is an idolatrous heart that believes that we know better than God. You believe what's happening to you is bad rather than good. Salvation of the Ninevites, as we will see, was good. Your sanctification is good. It's part of your salvation. But what is good? What is good? We're going to see this statement later on where the Lord says, basically, is doing good angering you, Jonah? Is doing good angering you? Do you have any good reason to be angry? That's really... But what is good? Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10? And he was setting out for a journey, verse 17, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Implicit in that statement is he knows that person doesn't believe he's God. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. So first of all, God is good, and true goodness comes from God. Every good gift comes from above, relating to salvation. 
Now, why do I bring this up? Ultimately, because God is characterized by good. His deeds are good. His redeemed people are good. They are saved unto good deeds, which he has prepared. And we need to understand that everything God does and allows is good. The salvation of the Ninevites, Jonah says, evil. It's so extremely obvious to us it's a good thing. But Jonah is blinded by his warped understanding, and we can become the same way so easily. And that's why it's so important to be instructed by the words. Well, what do we know about God being good? We heard some earlier from Psalm 103. Psalm 25.8, and I'm going to read some verses, and you can note them down and examine them later. Psalm 28.5, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. Psalm 86, 4 and 5, Make glad the soul of thy servant, for to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive. It's always tied with his attributes of forgiveness and goodness. Psalm 73, verse 1, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 106, 1, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. By the way, Jonah had most of this truth, as we'll see. Psalm 118.29, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 104 and 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. There's so many other verses. This is just a few of them. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. We'll see this in a minute. And great in loving kindness, the Lord is good to all. Psalm 34, 8. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells all of us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And what the Lord does is good. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, don't forget. Who pardons your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Psalm 84, verse 11, for the Lord... God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from the upright. But you're saying it's bad, it's evil, it's not good. Like Jonah. When we get mad, we're saying it's bad. We're saying it's evil. Lamentations 3. Jeremiah is looking at Jerusalem after it has been destroyed. People have been slaughtered and the remainder have been taken to captivity in Babylon. And he says, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, it says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. God's good, and what he does is good. And Jonah is exhibiting a warped view of God. 
He believes that what God had done in saving the Ninevites is a very evil thing, not a good thing. This is the core of anger, that you believe what's happening to you is bad rather than good, that you know better than God. Now notice his wickedness in his prayer reveals a further warped view, but ironically, God's gracious character. Again, back in Jonah 4, verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order for Stalus, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew, here's what he knows, that thou art gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Amazing, Jonah knew this, which all applies to salvation, but he says the Ninevites' salvation is evil. He knew that God was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. By the way, Jonah's very quick to anger. God's slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. Jonah's basically quoting Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and it's restated many times in Scripture, Joel 2:13 in the Psalms, as we saw. The Hebrew term gracious conveys just that, graciousness, favor towards the undeserving. Certainly the Ninevites were undeserving. I knew you were gracious, God. Compassionate means loving deeply. It carries the idea of understanding in this loving favor. It's used in other places to speak of a mother who understands and lovingly cares for her children. Slow to anger, God is patient, long-suffering to those who rightfully deserve his anger because his anger is righteous anger. And then we have the phrase abundant in loving kindness, Rab Chesed, which speaks of an overflowing Chesed. We've talked about this. An overflowing love, God's loyal love, loving kindness, overflowing And lastly, God, he's rightly declared to be one who relents concerning calamity. He is willing to turn from the judgment he proclaims if there is repentance. Jonah knew this. Jonah understood he was gracious, chose favor towards the undeserving, compassionate, deeply loving, slow to anger, patient, long-suffering, overflowing, loyal love, and one who relents. A list of God's attributes displayed throughout Scripture tied heavily to His salvation of us. And throughout Scripture, these attributes consistently, habitually bring the psalmist or whoever to praise God, not get angry at Him. I knew you were this way. See how I, how twisted his thinking is. Verse 2 should be very disturbing to us, and it should be a warning to how easily our Thinking can become twisted. But God's gracious. He uses his word to confront our thinking. He loves us. He's compassionate. He's good. Jonah's view of God is very warped, as evidenced by his anger concerning what God had done. Jonah knew the truth, but he didn't like that truth when it applied to the Ninevites. You may know the truth concerning how God sanctifies, but you may not like that truth when it's applied to you. How could this be? Evidently, somewhere along the line, Jonah picked up some bad understanding, some bad theology in which he saw God's compassion only for Israel and not for others. It's good that God's loving kind to us. It's not good that he is to them. This happens all the time, folks, where people take some bit of Scripture and elevate a truth beyond other truths in Scripture a type of doctrinal reductionism resulting in a warped view of God to Satan's perverse delight. I could give a myriad of examples. I'll give you a couple here. 
Consider the hyper-Calvinist who only focuses on God's sovereignty and election, truths which are taught in Scripture. But yet this focus is to the exclusion of other truths in Scripture, the clear fact in Scripture that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, rather that they return and repent, Ezekiel 18. Or you might have those who focus on human responsibility and reject the teaching of election and have the equal and opposite error and then try to manipulate mankind into the kingdom, thinking that they are the ones who save rather than God ultimately. There's a whole bunch of different errors that come from taking one truth and not seeing it correctly in light of other truths. Throughout the Old Testament, there were key passages to point that God's love was not only reserved for Israel, that it would go to the Gentiles. So ultimately, from Jonah's erroneous thinking, he thought he knew better than God. Therefore, in his idolatrous, twisted mind, the result would be anger. When you're not thinking right concerning the nature of God and concerning his word, you're going to get angry when things happen around you like that. Good things, but they can be evil to you. Angry Christians are those who do not have a right view of God. The heart of anger, as I've shared, is that you believe what's happening to you is bad rather than good. Even if you sin, when God lets bad happen, he's disciplining for good. And even when you haven't sinned and he allows bad to happen, he's using that to conform you to the image of Christ for good. And underneath that attitude is a lack of submission, as we saw in Jonah's life. You say God works things together for good all day long. You know the truth like Jonah did. But as long as you're angry, you don't believe it. Jonah knew truth about God, but this truth was warped. It was evil to him. And as I've shared, there are a lot of you out there who see things as evil to you. You are in a dangerous situation spiritually when this happens. For you have in your heart rebelliously rejected the truth concerning the fact that God is good and that he does everything for good. So instead of praising him, you're angry. Instead of Jonah praising him for his great goodness, this tremendous salvation, he's angry. Did Jonah have any good reason to be angry? No. Do you have any good reason to be angry? No. Are you willing to admit and repent of an idolatrous, selfish view of God? If you're still angry, there are deadly consequences coming, and we're going to see that in Jonah's life. So first of all, how can we avoid these consequences? We need to understand at the core of this type of anger, this anger that is not one in which you have confessed or the sun does not go down. It's the sun has gone down in this anger. At the core of this is a warped view of God, warped by evil, self-centered, Jonah's thinking, selfish thinking, seeing things through your own light rather than what God has revealed. But secondly, we need to recognize there are deadly fruit and consequences to this. Again, verse 1, Jonah 4, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, 
All our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. And Greg, changing our thinking about God and about our circumstance is a process, isn't it? Yes, it is, Dave, and that process is what God calls renewing our minds. And it's something that we as believers are to be doing day in and day out. We need to be taking the circumstances and situations of our lives and looking at them through the lens of Scripture, through the will of God, and through God's desire, rather than from our perspective. You know, we're not to lean on our own understanding in all our ways. We're to trust the Lord. And so we need to be renewing our minds so that we see things rightly, and then we're enabled to respond rightly. Well, we're not done with this passage yet, so please make plans to join us tomorrow for our next edition of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you'd like a complimentary CD of today's broadcast, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again tomorrow, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a broadcast ministry of Equipping Bible Church.